Ernest, what's up? Look, in the world of personal finance management, finding the right tool is crucial. If you've been relying on Mint to keep your personal finances in check, I got a mix of news for you. Mint is closing down. But here's a silver lining. Monarch Money is stepping up as the go-to financial app and users, including myself, are making the switch with a smile. Before Monarch, juggling my finances felt like navigating a stormy sea. Other apps either lacked features or were too cumbersome. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design turned financial management from a chore into a breeze. The constant updates, well, that's the cherry on top. But what truly set it apart for me was its collaboration feature. Money matters constrain relationships, but Monarch brings peace to the table. The app's collaboration tools allowed my partner and I to seamlessly manage our finances together. We aligned on our budgets, tracked our cash flow, and even planned our future goals all in one place. Speaking of goals, be it saving for a down payment, your dream vacation, or your children's education, Monarch simplifies it all. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal hailed it as the best budgeting app. This isn't just an app. It's the next generation of personal finance management, ad-free, intuitive, and always evolving with you in mind. Now look, Monarch isn't just another app. It's the all-in-one solution. From effortlessly importing your data from Mint to customizing your dashboard to your heart's content, Monarch respects your privacy with a strict no-ads, no-data-selling policy. This is financial management as it should be, focused on you. Look, after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Mondays. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Mondays for your extended 30-day free trial. Love. All right, guys. Welcome back. back. Monday. Happy Monday. Yes, it is sir. the 15th of January. Yes. Uh, Mark is close today. Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Uh, this is actually 90, is it 95th or 90? 95, yeah. 95th birthday will be celebrated yeah. today and recognized. So school is out, market's closed, but you know who's here. The yeah, folks, that's Market Monday. Rest in peace to Martin Luther King for sure. May his, may his legacy live on and continue forever. To all of us. Um, so, yeah, you know, Market Mondays. We are back. Yes. Oh, you mean the background? I know. You're they're wondering why it changed. Well, folks. Are we in the cabin. <laughs> we are in a wood are cabin. Are you asking or? <laughs> not, this the way, right? okay. not the Poconos. Not the Poconos. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely not Poconos. <laughs> the, yeah. the closest you chili's been. Yeah, we out, we out here, man. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But, yeah, we're in Davos for the week. Uh, so... A lot to talk about, you know. <sighs> Tell the reptilian, reptilians are set up. Applications are still pending uh, uh, in the middle of the Swiss Alps. Um, checking the vibes out here, man. It's important. We we had a a, a couple of walk arounds, a couple of panels that we walked past today. It's important that we're here, um, and we're starting to see a little bit more of us out here to actually report what's happening and give it back to y'all in a way that makes sense, uh, that makes it digestible, but to tell you what's ahead in the future. So like Charlie said, we'll get into that. Uh, but we are here safe and we are protected. <laughs> that is all code for they sold their soul. Come on, let's also do the review video. <laughs> they were so humble in again living room. And, all right, damn, and now they're in the wood cabin, bro. chandelier. 
Hate it. Hate it. Fall off you dusty. You can't win. What uh what Benny say, hey, this thing I signed the Illuminati deal. <laughs> signed, signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been real. See you guys <laughs> next year. See you guys next year. <laughs> Perhaps. Um man, a lot to talk about. We got a guest today. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> a welcome back guest. For sure. Yes. Yeah, we got we got JC. Um, so uh this is something that you know we uh we did last year and yeah. he went over charts mm-hmm. and he he was very eloquent in how he went over the charts mm-hmm. and talked about the election and how politics play and go into recessions and all kinds of different stuff like that. So a very intelligent guy. Yeah. Back for the back for the second time. You know what was dope about it? He kind of went against the green, right? Like everybody was talking recession, 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 second half of the quarter. He pulled out them charts and showed everybody why he did not agree and yeah. what we should be looking forward to. And so if people watch that episode and they executed on it, I mean, they should be well off by at this point. Because they should be in Davos. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to say he was on point and right is an understatement, man. He nailed yep. it. Um, pause. But uh, incredible. And, and we're happy to have him back. Privileged to have him back, man. It's going to be dope. For sure. So uh, I won't spend too much time with... Uh, a big week for EYL tomorrow. We got my boy Joey Crack, hey. Fat Joe. Our interview with uh, Fat Joe from uh, Art Basel. Oh, so shout out, shout out to Fat Joe. A lot of a lot of gems, a lot of uh, funny stories per usual. Um, so I'm sure people he talked about his IRS problems, talked about a variety of different stuff, lessons that he learned, and um, entrepreneurship, losing money, getting back on his feet. So he's a very transparent person. So, on the right team. Yeah, for sure. Reconciliation. Great conversation. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 For sure. So um, yeah, check it out tomorrow, one o'clock, Eastern Standard Time. And um we're gonna have some big news on EYL University. Um, too. We uh we got a revamped curriculum and revamped format. So we're gonna be talking about that uh in a, in the coming week. So stay tuned. But we got big plans for EYL University for 2024 for sure. Um and anything else? I think that that might be it. Ian, anything on your side? Uh, Stock Club call will be this Wednesday. Um, if you're watching the Stock Club, prices are out. I added five new companies and I added, uh, I think, 10 dividend companies that I like that I've never talked about before in Stock Club. So check that out. If I've made you money, please put yes in chat. And uh, shout out to Larry Fink for taking over crypto. <laughs> that boy's smart. We're talking this book on, on every uh, show possible i can't wait to talk about it all right let's get it yeah y'all know how this works man do your own research our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only it's very important that you do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances you should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify any information that you find on our show and wish to rely upon whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise, this is a message brought to you by the good brothers at Ernie Leisure and the good brother Ian Dunlap, the master investor himself. Two stocks should call in the flesh. Yes. Political wave. <laughs> let's let's get it. All 24. Let's get it. Um, all right. So uh let's talk about this. Um Kathy Woods, who uh was yes. at InvestFest this year. Yes, 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 yes. Uh she was actually on a panel with Ian, Michael Novogratz. Ian, Kathy was uh, InvestFest alumni. 
So uh, she made a bold prediction that um, Bitcoin bull case could possibly get to 1.5 million and um, base case of 600,000 for for Bitcoin. Um, and one, 1 million is something that I've heard. I've heard a million dollars for Bitcoin for a while as far as like, you know, ultimate goal, ultimate projection. Yeah. Um, so how do you evaluate her analysis? Um, do you share her optimism? And uh, do you think it's a little misguided? Like what's what's your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I, I love Kathy. Um, currently we're at like almost 43,000. So to get to that base case, that's like 11x return. That is a ratio that I like when I am investing. But I don't know the pathway or time frame for how long we get there. I don't know if it'll be 10 years. Um, ultimately, I think it can hit 500,000. But when I people were sending me this, they were like, do you think it could happen in three or four years? And I'm like, no. Um, most assets don't climb at 11x in a four-year period, even though Bitcoin is like the number one return asset of all time. So I do believe in a proclamation, but it may take 20 years to get there. We're not getting there in three or four years. I love Kathy. Shout out to the team. <laughs> Kudos to everybody at ARC. But I, like, is this what people feel like when I like say things are going to fall 80%? Because I'm like, five, 1.5? Come on. That's, it, so it's going to take a while. The, the original uh, projection was a million. And I guess after uh, the Bitcoin ETF got approved, they had her back on and it went up to 1.5. Now, this is the this is kind of the question inside the question. Is the analysis misguided or is the time frame misguided? Right. Because she's saying by 2030, which gives us six years to get to 1.5, worst case, 600,000. Or do we at some point seeing right? Because obviously at some point all the Bitcoin that will be minted will be there will be a time when that happens. Is there a case that we can see it at that level? Just not in six years. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen in six years. Of course, we'll have a great boom after halving. I agree with that a thousand percent. But yeah, I think the the timing of when this will happen will be misguided. Love Bitcoin long term. Um, but I think the projection is that's like me saying Apple's going to go to 2,500 in, in five years. Not going to happen. Uh, but I do give her credit. She was the first one to put Tesla and Bitcoin in the pairing and the fund to get accelerated gains. Everyone copied her after that. I agree with that a thousand percent. But yeah, this time frame does not um, work, even with, with the uh, ETFs um, yeah. being announced. I mean, she, she's been bold in, in her predictions and her, her case points. And listening to her speak, I don't, the, I can see, right, based on the analysis of, of what she's saying in terms of the amount of supply, obviously the ETF, uh, the rate of people holding onto it is increasing. Um, we've seen it, I think it was similar to 2021 when Bitcoin yeah. was at uh, 59,000, it was very similar. So the analysis I think is on point. I, I kind of agree with you here. I can't see it in six years, but for those people that are looking for the end of the year case, she a hundred thousand. I, I I'm more towards the the seventy thousand range to a hundred. What's yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm at like sixty five thousand eight thirty eight, um, and where I think we should land. Like in order for Bitcoin to go that high, we would have to have a contagion level event in the financial space. Banks would have to collapse. A lot of trust would have to be lost in the dollar, and then pension and mutual funds will have to have a mass exodus from dollars into Bitcoin. Now, if that happens, game, set, match. 
but I don't see the monetary system changing um, and deploying all that capital into Bitcoin. Um, so when questions like these are posed, opposed to just saying no or yes, I think it's really important for the audience to say what are like the five levers that would make that happen? Well, we need like a large scale banking crisis and then hedge funds, mutual funds, pension funds um, to start to move majority of their capital into Bitcoin. And I don't see that happening right now. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and these are, all, these are all bullish projections, right? There's the other end to that where there's going to be a bearish projection where we know that Bitcoin is speculative and we know that it's volatile. And we've seen crypto winters before where it's dropped 50 to 60 percent. And so if you put that inside of the scenario, I mean, it makes it even tougher to get to, uh, I mean, 70,000, but forget a million. What? OK, now I'm going to be on the side of the crypto audience was there a winter or was like the banks blowing snow and turned off the heater and which year the last last year and a half nfts got demonized logan paul got caught up in a scandal every celebrity got caught up in a scandal through propaganda they demonized it and then larry fink is all in the video <laughs> dancing <laughs> talking about ripple and bitcoin and i've never heard him speak this much while vanguard comes out and says hey none of our customers can buy it like there's a war going on. and remember two years ago i was like hey the banks are going to come in take over crypto mm -hmm. and now we're seeing it when i, when I think of that the, the nft period i'm not sure if, i mean i i guess can to, to qualify as a, as a winter when I, I think crypto winter, I'm thinking like 2018, right off that run at the end of 2017, when it became something that was widely known by the masses and people were investing in it blindly. And we saw it run up, run up, run up. And then we saw alternate coins also be a part of that mix. And then in 2018, 19, we saw a drastic pullback where yeah. it drops down from 20,000 now down to three. That that period is when I when I think of crypto winter, I, I think of that time period specifically. Yeah, um, I just think it's very interesting that uh, for what Rashad, uh, forty years, they told us seven to twelve percent was the norm that we should expect. Crypto comes, they don't want it. Crypto goes on fire, all, all coins go on fire, and now all of a sudden they're giving up on the traditional S and P five hundred, Russell two thousand strategy, and now trying to infiltrate and take over the crypto space and they have done so uh successfully so um a great lesson i've learned through all of this and with kathy people want high returns um and whoever can do that with the lowest drawdown is ultimately going to win but i don't see five hundred thousand anytime soon but i do think we'll crack a hundred thousand by next year for sure Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll monitor the situation. Uh, so, Toshi Nakamoko, what's his name? <laughs> Why y'all out there? I know y'all yeah. going to the panel. Don't want to say nothing. But can you ask him for us and the people who are not there? His, his panel is tonight. I saw the Ripple House. Um, drove past it, so I was trying to stop by there this this week. Um, which is ironic that you know there's a Ripple House here. Wow. Um, because. It still is a little confusing why it's so many people are enthusiastic about XRP when they kind of go against what uh, crypto was um, originally designed for as far as to be anti-establishment and um, uh, something that was uh, decentralized. And this is as central as you can get um, when we talk about the World Economic Forum. So uh, for Ripple, 
to have a house in Davos. Man, I'm about to attack you. I, I, listen. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying. You know. I, I was I invested in Ripple early and yeah, XRP. I invested in XRP early, right? Because obviously Ripple is a company that also I don't even want all of these people in the comments. I invested in XRP early, but I mean it just is what it is, right? I'm not one of those people that. I don't because I know that nothing is decentralized. I understand that nothing is decentralized. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going out on this. Uh, look, this is the best story ever told outside of the Easter Bunny and maybe some other things that I can't say because people oh might get offended. But, <laughs> no, you, don't you, you, you create, you, you create, you create something from uh, an Asian man that nobody's ever known that yeah. has a, a thesis to change the world and. In 20 years, it's going to be worth a million dollars. It's this, this is a hell of a story, but people like stories, so um, we can go with it if you want. If, if you want to go with the story, we can go with it. I can't wait to Dr. Umar come out and reveals that he is Satoshi. Guys, it's all them schools going to be popping up all over the world at that point, <laughs> but yeah, nar narratives have to get built. Um, yeah, I, I like XRP a lot. But I do find it interesting. It's kind of like when DMX was coming up and then he was too rough. And then the album came out, and he moved units, and it's like, oh, well, let's push him now. Uh, banks have given such low return and have such low trust. I think they don't have a choice but to partner with XRP and Bitcoin and Ethereum. You know, I've talked endlessly about the partnership with Chase and Ethereum. So I just find it very interesting. We had a very interesting point in, in time, and uh, the next few years would definitely be pretty damn interesting but i agree um two years ago everybody was killing me about these platforms and assets being decentralized and now they're in the big castles that run the world it's not decentralized like you know every every bank owns it it's traded on the stock market it says central as the imf if you know you know <laughs> if you know you know all right um Microsoft has surpassed Apple My as the baby. world as the world's largest company by um by market cap. Um so the great thing is that is that we posted that like a week ago that they were Microsoft was only a hundred billion dollars away from um passing Apple in market cap. And at that time, you know there's a lot of people in the comments that was like laugh out loud, only a hundred billion. Like yeah. <laughs> but you know it's a teachable moment as far as for corporate finance and you know how things that can look like a large number to some is a very small number to somebody else. Yeah. Perception is everything, and that's 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 the thing about life. One person's mountain is another person's hill, right? One one person's trash is another man's treasure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we could go down a line here. So, um, <laughs> no no pun intended. Mm -hmm. Perception is a very important <laughs> perception is a very important thing. So a hundred a hundred billion, yeah, to the average person, to me, like as I'm looking at it from a bank account standpoint, if I was looking at yeah. it from that standpoint, then yeah, I'd be like, Oh yeah, a hundred billion dollars, that's crazy. But I think it's an important part of the job is to educate people. So we wasn't look we wasn't talking about it as far as like in somebody's net worth. Yeah, just in our Bank of America. Tomorrow I'll have a hundred million. So, so it's a teachable moment. But okay. um so Microsoft has surpassed Apple that quickly. A hundred billion dollars they caught up that quickly. Um so do you do you foresee Microsoft maintaining this lead and um 
how does this play out for the future of both companies? Do you see Apple re reclaiming the position? Does it matter? Is it like just a celebratory thing that you know doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, or is it actually important? I think it's actually important. Um, anytime you lose pole position and you're not number one, you have to start to be worried. Um, some stats around Microsoft. Profit margin, this is a multi-trillion dollar company. 34% profit margin. Whew. Amazing. Operating margin, 43%. Gross margin, 68%. Return on assets, 19%. Institutional ownership, 72%. So at a time when Apple is not the innovator, um, the leader in breaking edge uh, technology, once you and we have to compare this to Apple is also a consumer based company that does some enterprise and some B2G. Microsoft does a ton of B2G, ton of enterprise with wider margins. You have to be worried when someone passes you up. This isn't just like some milestone that does not matter. Um, and normally when these companies are number one and of course for the next year or two, I think they'll go back and forth in terms of market cap. But once again, if they don't innovate, I can see Microsoft keeping that lead and with the interest in AI. And this is the interesting part. Microsoft hasn't partnered with anybody to make an electronic vehicle, which we can talk about mm -hmm. that space later. They have not gotten into healthcare and they mm -hmm. don't have a consumer product that people love. If they actually innovate and make a product that people really love at scale with the leadership, with Satya just being focused on the business, this could be the era where Microsoft remains dominant for a decade. And I keep saying that if it wasn't for Balmer, there would be no Microsoft. Kudos to Balmer and everything that you're doing. I think you're amazing. But he wasn't right for that CEO position. And Gates had a lot to do with that with the infighting. But I think this is probably, and I still love Apple. For everyone who's messaging me like, should I sell Apple? No. But I think we are seeing a passing of the guard, if you will. And most importantly, we need publicly traded companies to build things that actually work and that people need. We don't, and I have three of them. We don't need another iPhone 7 upgrade that's called a 15. Microsoft has actually innovated. And then once they got into the AI space, amazing partnership with like that joint venture that they did with OpenAI mm -hmm. and put them in a different category. So um, if I was Apple, I would be a little bit worried. And Microsoft, as of now, definitely is a better company. Uh, a lot there. There's a lot there. Um, interesting. I mean, it was short-lived, right? So Apple did go back on top as the number one as far as market yeah. cap. But um, I'm with you. In 2024, I definitely... And we said this six months ago um, when we were looking at the market caps. We were, we were analyzing and saying, based on the forward momentum that Microsoft has, especially with the partnership, like you said, in OpenAI... Mm -hmm. There's a chance here that they're going to pass them in that day game. And I think it's going to it's going to be prolonged um, for yeah. a couple of reasons. But I think that AI space is one of them. You mentioned that there hasn't been a product that Microsoft has had a consumer product. And so I had to I'm, when you said it, I started thinking, like, was there a product? Is, is Windows the last product? Right. Is that the last thing that people could say that we really loved um, in the 90s? And, That's in crazy. the 90s. Right. And interestingly enough, what they've now done with OpenAI and creating Copilot. This might be the thing. Um, mm -hmm. So if you look at the numbers on, on Copilot, I just did a quick research on it. Nearly half of Fortune 100 companies have incorporated into the enterprise software already. Um, and so you're talking about 
large revenue, right? When you're talking about Fortune 100 companies, but yep. they're going to have it for consumers uh, as part of their their, their office package uh, in this year. Uh, what that does now, when you have OpenAI, right, and you you have Copilot using that, now you need more cloud space. And so, what has been increasing over the past three quarters for them, Azure, right? And it's kind of dented in a space where Amazon, AWS was is far by far the leader. It's cracked a dent in their in their 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 lead. It's cracked a dent in Google Cloud's lead, and yeah. now Azure is that third place player with a lot of momentum. Um, and so, if you're looking at these two things alone. And last week we talked about it. What's the innovation? What is the thing that Apple will have? And we don't know it yet. Yeah. No, the fact that they are already in the lead in this AI space with these m mountain factors, I like them for 2024 and maybe for 2025 if we don't we don't see the exact innovation. I know people in the comments, I actually read the comments uh, the other day when we did Market Mondays and they're like, yeah, people said the same things when Steve Jobs passed. They don't innovate enough. They don't innovate enough. Okay, they they had products. They have had products, and but that past, wasn't true. Well, this is what the comments were saying, right? They've had products, and yes, right. We we've seen what Tim Cook has done, and I mean, there's an argument that he could be a when it goes down, right, in history, and we look back, he might have been a, a greater CEO than than Steve Jobs was. Oh, no question. It's right? no question. Yeah. And so now now is the time, right? Over the next. 12 to 16 months, it, it's going to be an important time. And I know it's like, uh, you, you, it's semantics, right? Your market cap is number one, ours is number two. But it means something, right? In those headquarters, <laughs> right? It means something. And Amazon's right there, too. Right? In the past, I think, 12 years, there's only been three companies that have been in that one and two spot, Amazon, Apple, yeah. and Microsoft. So it definitely means something amongst them. Um, and whoever comes out with the most innovative and, and is leading in a, in a way of the future, especially for technology, I mean, they get the crown, and I'm, I'm sure that people in Apple think about it the same way um, that Amazon and, and Microsoft do. Everybody wants to be the top spot. Yeah, if the enterprise value or the market cap value is the same, Apple's profit margin is 25%. Microsoft is 34 For a multi-trillion dollar company, that's like a $100 million business having an 80% profit margin. It does matter. And if they make another acquisition, um, being Microsoft, that could give them a further lead. It's never a good thing when you have a brand and people are, before it comes out, are saying, I'm not going to buy that product. Even yeah. Apple fans are saying, I, unless it can shoot out laser beams or transport me to Davos or put me in Game of Thrones, I don't even, I'm not even going to consider it. Listen, we, we're here, right? We walked the streets for two hours. Every 10 feet, two letters are posted all throughout the streets, and it's AI everywhere ai yep. there, every single it's ai it's ai and if we think about ai especially from the consumer side who's leading that space there's no doubt it's microsoft yeah no doubt not even a question so what oh, continue we, to tech to index no stress um i even even remember people saying microsoft wouldn't have that number one spot Invest in those two, you'll be good. But I still want the companies that I'm invested in to keep their edge and keep innovating. So let's talk about football, shall we? Yes. Because um, this is How about them Cowboys. Damn. Damn. I'm sorry, but <laughs> what, at what point will Cowboys fans stop oh. expecting greatness? Man, that was tough. If to every watch. week your girl go to the club and cheat on you. And come home and say, "Baby, I'm sorry." On Monday, at what point, like, 
Dallas Cowboy fans like abuse. That was rough. That was rough. But at least we got to watch it. True. Yeah. Well, brighter days are ahead. But from a um, business standpoint, Belichick. Bill Belichick, the best that ever do this. Perhaps. Perhaps again, not that he's the best. He's the best. He's uh, he's one of the people that I relate to. Him. In what way? I saw you post that. In what way? <laughs> in every way. Um, you know, as far as him just uh, always maintaining that demeanor forever, right? Yeah. You've never seen him get too high. You've never seen him get too low. Um, consistent champion. Um, just his 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 work ethic is unbelievable. But um, I really relate to the demeanor. I just feel like, you know, he's he's a very misunderstood person. And um, I feel like if you if you a champion, sometimes you, you're going to be a different person. Like Tiger Woods, not a normal person. Like Steve Jobs, not a normal person. Bill Belichick, not a normal person. Michael Jordan is not a normal person. Very yeah. few times. Very few people are like LeBron. Well, LeBron is like a good guy. And you know what I'm saying? Like he's like a he's that he's he's the person that, you know, is a very friendly person and his personality is is exuberant. Um, he breaks the mold. But yeah. a lot of these champions, um, Nick Saban, same way. Yep. You got to win, man. You got to win. So I just really respect Belichick because he's just, he did it. He did it at the highest level. Six championships. You can't argue. Now you're going to say to Tom Brady. Of course, you got the best quarterback. He, of made, course. he made a vital mistake. Look, at the end of the day, he made a vital mistake, though. We've got to talk. He made a vital mistake. It's not over yeah. yet. His legacy is not over yet. And even if it is over, he won six championships. If he go win in Dallas, I'm you've made the greatest coach of all time in any sport. If he goes there and wins, <laughs> he there, might be that now. He, he might be that now. I'm just saying he made a vital mistake that that is going to be part of his life. Well, everybody's going to make a mistake. Everybody's going to make a mistake. A vital. Yeah, I made square. <laughs> Shit. I, <laughs> <laughs> two years ago, by the way. I'll send you a little review. Two years ago. <laughs> they, they made a review video? Yeah, uh, always. Damn. Hit that demonetize button on you real quick. They don't play. That's fast. Um, yeah, that's Billy, nice. Billy Belly, hold your head, man. You know, it's, it was a hell of a run. Um, so we'll see where he ends up. But for this conversation, we're going to talk about business yeah. and yeah. Um, streaming. So, big game. You know, I'm a, I'm a um, Kansas City Chiefs fan. I want somebody to please write this down. I've been a Kansas City Chiefs fan since I was a kid. He's been so, saying this since the show started. I will give yeah, him that. No, no, he's been saying this since Patrick Mahomes been winning Super Bowls. All right, we can ask my mom. I've been a Kansas City Chiefs fan <laughs> yeah, since. Listen, since everybody knows if they winning, he's riding with them. Kansas City Chiefs. I've been, I've been, you know, Arrowhead salute that you know Christian Okoye. Right. I was I, a quarterback I, before Patrick Mahomes. Look, look, I was a Kansas City Chiefs fan <laughs> when they had Derek. Um, Christian Okoye. That was 92. The Nigerian Who Nightmare. The, quarterback before the, Nigerian, the Nigerian Nightmare. They're going to they uh, put it in the chat for you. Listen, man. Real fans would know that. Listen, man. So, um, and I remember Montana. <laughs> when Montana came that's over. That's 93. Exactly. That's, what, that's, that's the era that I'm from. Mid-90s. That's 30 the years ago. Exactly. That shows my loyalty. Right. It's nothing new. So, in between that's that. Exactly. That's you, my, exactly my point. Did you watch in No, I'm not that? a diehard football fan. So I don't, yeah. I'm not catching up with, you know, every little, who's the cornerback from the Detroit Lions yeah, um, in 1997 no, 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 no. Now, when he broke his ankle no. and Barry Sanders read it back in the, fr in the freezing those, snow. Those, <laughs> the theatrics are good. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a diehard football fan. That, but 
that the theatrics are good, but <laughs> you should know the cornerback that was there right before. Look, man, we support we support the winning teams, man. And, <laughs> they, uh, say that. Pat, say that. Pat Mahone wanted them one. There you go. He's one of them. I respect that. You was swag surfing when, when Taylor was doing a swag. Yo. <laughs> They said People that was crazy, though. Snow, snow, uh, they made up a couple They said snowboarding? <laughs> Shout out to Taylor. That's Swift. funny. Nah, that we're making sure she's going to be at that. Uh, yeah, we can't. Qual- that does not qualify or quantify as a swag surf. But, I mean, uh, they were enjoying themselves. I'm not mad at anybody that's enjoying themselves. Shout out to the snowboarders. So, let's talk about this, shall we? Um, <laughs> that's okay. Funny. The NFL paid, paid $110 million to Peacock. Yeah, for uh, Kansas City versus Miami game, and um, that was for one off. That was a one off game, Crazy. right? So now it's like, okay, well, will companies uh, replace cable uh, for streaming and make revenue on forced sports subscription? Because most most sports, basketball, baseball, football, they're all on cable television. Mm-hmm. ABC, yep. NBC, Fox. Or their satellites like ESPN and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, which most people, the, the ABCs and all that is free, and ESPN is part of most people's packages. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But a lot of these, like NBC owns Peacock, right? So now all these big companies are having their, their streaming arms. So, all right, it's a streaming war. Yeah. So, an easy Absolutely. way to try to, to, to increase revenue and get more people signed up for your streaming is to switch your sports programming from free to paid mm-hmm. streaming mm-hmm. model, right? They already yeah. kind of do this with the Thursday night football. Yep. Um, but it's still like, so what if, you know, Monday night football, what if the Super Bowl was on pay-per-view? How would that change the landscape um, as far as revenue models, subscription-based? So this is something that a lot of people was mad about because they didn't want to pay to watch the game. We still have to see the numbers. I'd be interested to see the numbers and what they looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, but is this a way that streaming can um take off and uh what's your thoughts before we bring our esteemed guest on i see he just checked in the building i I thought it was interesting we were at the airport sitting and kind of like breaking that down and it was i'm thinking to myself if if the the nfl is a business first and foremost and if the goal of your business is to make money too right right and if the goal of the business is to make money and if roger goodell is the head of the the company and his job is to make money i'm going to try to find different ways to generate revenue right the, yeah. the the model of cable television is broken we've seen that um when we saw thursday night football when its original inception was just on nbc right and then they decided you know what we have our own cable network why put it on nbc when we can have subscribers come to our network Smart. and then people didn't really do that right and so they started doing amazon prime right you could watch thursday night games and then great partnership but then major league baseball did that even if like i'll try to find a yankee game and it'll be on amazon prime i'm like okay well they're starting to sell these these games or these packages for the season the 112 10 million for a playoff game because it's like nfl fans are a different level like fanatic is is, i think an understatement for the the way that americans view football so to have the most popular player in the game patrick mahomes arguably maybe one of the most popular teams outside maybe the cowboys to have Miami Dolphins to have that game and to say this is the price point, I think it sets a new precedent for it. Like you said, when you, and you got the swag surf, and, you, and then you know, right? People are already watching for, yeah. for you know the theatrics of Taylor Swift being there. But even if you look at the last year's Super Bowl, it was the most watched Super Bowl in history of of the NFL, and Patrick Mahomes is part of that too. And so you you're gonna 
optimize the opportunities that you can sell your number one player, right, to your public. Was yeah. it fair to the fans? That's a different argument. From a business standpoint, I think I think it's a it was a great you know, under ten million for one game, right? Yeah. You could do that for the AFC Championship, right? If he's in there again, what's the price point on that? Like you said, where does it stop? Is the Super Bowl now something that can become pay per view? I think it sets a a precedent for business and, and sports uh, media that I don't know how you come back from, right? I, I think that the broadcasting of it might change over the next five to ten years. I mean, it'll have to if absolutely. If Disney decides, hey, we're going to put this on Disney Plus because ESPN is under that package, and Amazon says, hey, we, we're going to get, you know, Monday Night Football, and now the playoff games are all on on Peacock or something, or, C, or CBO Paramount, I think CBS is under. So it's, it's this is like the new streaming wars inside of sports because the NFL is the first thing, but the NBA will be next. Their their contracts will be up. Major League Baseball, Apple. We always talked about what sports league will they get to now stream on their platform. So yeah. We're, this is something that we we definitely got to pay attention to as fans and as, as as people that are watching business moves. In a world of dying media, the NFL, we don't talk enough about how great of a job they've done at branding over these last thirty or forty years. But Goodell does a lot that I don't like. But in terms of running the business, he's done a fantastic job. And while media is dying, it's the only linear show that people still tune into live and are excited to check out. And that fan base continues to grow. Um, I think they've done an amazing job there. I am interested to see what the numbers are. But if you're selling a show for 110 and you have 500 million in advertising or 300 million, it's definitely going to bring in a, a different model. Um, and we're seeing it with Pat McAfee, like sports is the hottest thing going. Um, so I think they're doing a great job of leveraging that asset in a time when every other media company is having issues right now. Yeah, if you look at the Nielsen ratings, is like what people are watching in American homes. The number, I think, they're out of the top twenty, I think fifteen of them are Monday Night Football. That's insane. The most watched things on on, t- on American TV is Monday Night Football. That's so crazy. It's it's insane. Why did Netflix throw a bag to get that Thursday night game? Yeah, it was so. Rant. I didn't hear anything about this until the week of the game when when people started complaining that they weren't going to be able to watch the game. I wonder yeah. if that was already structured before the season started, or they this is something that they did pre playoffs. That would be probably have to be structured in beforehand. They just didn't announce it because for all that bandwidth and yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure they had to have structured it in and do a quick rollout um, in terms of the announcement. But I, I think it was brilliant. It's not the best thing for the fans, but I mean for a premium game like that. It is worth paying, and it's much cheaper than flying there and buying the ticket. This is true. Yeah, and shout out to the Texans who won uh, this past uh, week too. First Scary time in twenty five years or however many. Shout out to Bun Slim was out there. My guy uh, Tavares was out there. So they just uh, announced yeah. the tour. You saw that? Yeah, yeah crazy. Still, still tipping to it. Mike yeah, go, go get that bag. <laughs> that bag. It'll make sense to be. There's more money in collaboration. Keep telling y'all. Texans are tough, man. CJ Shrell, tough. Yeah. Tough, tough. All right. So let's bring our guest on. Uh, yes. JC. Stop, John. Let me just clap it up for you one time. Yes. My brother, how are you? I'm well. Thank you, guys. Thanks for, thank the you for being here. How are you feeling, man? Listen, it's a the 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 world the world can be a messy place, uh, but when you you take a step back and you zoom out and you appreciate you know all of the progress that you know is made slowly, might not be on the front page of the news, but it's it's small little wins for society that 
you know, kind of go unnoticed. But you know who is noticing is investors. S and P, mm -hmm. Nasdaq, Dow, new all time highs. Europe, new all time highs. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, and 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 pessimism still rules. Um, you know, you look at consumer sentiment, and you know we're at some of the most pessimistic levels of all time. Yeah. Uh, stock markets at all time highs. Sell side strategist Wall Street, super bearish, super pessimistic. That's a great combination of of people being worried that things are bad, but then things are actually, they've never been better. That's a great combination. It's when everybody thinks that everything's so great, that's when the problems start, but we're just not there. I mean, you guys tell me yeah. if I'm wrong. Well, yeah, so I wanted to, well, first and foremost, thank you for coming back. Appreciate it. Um, JC, yeah, he did a marvelous job last time he was here. Um, so I want to start out with, um, I know you're, you're a charts guy. So based on the charts that you're reading, now you look at things, how do you see 2024 playing out? Um, you know, a lot of people said, you know, obviously we had a great year in 2023. Um, there's, there's some people that's nervous. The political cycle, it would say that it would be a good year based off of past history, based on, on an election year. Um, so where do you, where do you see this market right now? As far as charts is concerned? I like I like how you throw out the seasonality there. No big deal. No big deal. It's a, a little four year cycle. Throw out a shout out there. I like it. I like it. Um, no, listen, it, it's less about the charts and more about reality. Right. A lot of people are like, oh, the market should do this or oh, the market could do this. What is it actually doing? Right. That's what I'm mostly interested in. What is the what is actually happening? And it just so happens that the best way to visualize what's actually taking place in the market is in a chart right you could literally see yeah. it and like i'm not like the smartest guy like you could tell me something a million times you got to show me like let me see like can i just yeah. see so the charts are very helpful to be able to see what the market is actually doing is the world falling apart i don't know let's see what the s p 500 is doing oh i see it at all-time highs so i don't know maybe the world is not actually falling apart maybe things are pretty good oh maybe it's just the united states uh, that's doing so well. Why don't we look uh, and see what's going on in other countries? Oh shit! Brazil's making new all-time highs. So yeah, Chile and Peru. And the Nikkei, Europe, Nikkei, thirty-three year highs. Germany, new all-time highs. All Denmark does is go straight up with their healthcare. It's fantastic. France, new all-time highs. Ton of industrials there. You look at Asia, things like uh, Jakarta, right? Like the only thing not working is China, right? Which is a very rare exception. I mean, you go down to Australia, things are good. Uh, so just more new all-time highs across the board. You see an expansion of stocks making new highs, right? We had over 50% of the S&P 500 was hitting new three-month highs the other day. Like those are the types of things that happen early in cycle. So in terms of like, what are the charts telling me? Like for the year, well, I don't know what's going to happen a year from now, but we're not in a market environment where things are getting worse. For the last 18 months, we've been in a market environment where things keep getting better. So yeah. you're going to see things stop getting better before they start to get worse, right? Like we're not, we're not getting, you know what I'm saying? Like things aren't getting worse. They just keep getting better. So like when that stops, then we'll, you know, we'll have a different conversation. So that's, that's how I see it. You know, so what does that mean? Oh, it's a bull market. It's a bear market. Like, what, what, why should we care what kind of market environment we're in? Because that's the first thing that we want to do as investors. First, identify what type of market environment we're in and then decide the best tools and strategies for that environment. Right. So if we're in a low volatility environment, why on earth 
would you incorporate strategies that are good for high volatility environments? That would yeah. be stupid, right? That would be dumb. That just doesn't make mathematical sense. So we're in a low volatility environment. Let's incorporate strategies that are good for low vol environments. Okay. Are the majority of stocks going up or the majority of stocks going down? I don't know if you've looked, but the majority of stocks have been going up. So we want to yeah, spend our time. time. Yeah, we want to spend our time looking for stocks to buy versus allocating more time looking for stocks to sell. You know, there are more uptrends than there are range bound markets. So we don't necessarily want to incorporate too many range bound market uh, strategies. We want to incorporate more trend following strategies. Right. So that's that's how we look at uh, the current state of the market, how we want to approach it. I think it's like that. When we look at uh, when we look at 2024, uh, we, we've already heard that there was going to be rate cuts. And so we're big on technology. We talk about technology companies all the time. We see companies going up and up. With the rates getting lower, obviously that would create an environment for tech companies to, to continue to appreciate. What are your thoughts on that? Because everybody keeps talking about this pullback, this pullback, this recessionary environment in the second half of the year. They said that in 2023. We didn't see it. We spoke to you about it, and the charts didn't indicate that. What are your thoughts around the tech sector with interest rates uh, being reduced over the next six months? Yeah, you know, stocks and bonds are moving together. That's the big thing. And if you look at uh, technology, um, technology represents almost 30%. Basically, today, it's essentially pennies from 30% of the entire yeah. S&P 500. This is technology. So if we know that stocks and bonds are trading together, right, then your thesis that lower rates should be good for technology stocks, I would agree with all of that, right? That would make perfect sense. You know, what I think actually is getting, you know, taking that one step further, what I think part of the driver of that trend that you're talking about is the fact that a lot of investors still think that the treasury bond market is the safe haven. Like when stocks sell off, bonds rally, that inverse correlation that we had in place for a long, long time, the majority of my career, certainly. But we're not in that type of environment. We're in an environment that's more inflationary where stocks and bonds are trading together something like maybe the 1970s. So we're just in a different kind of environment where stocks and bonds need to be treated differently than many than than most of us have been accustomed to over the last 20 years. So that's just something to keep in mind. And I think it's taking investors a long time to come to terms with that. And I think that that is further unwind of just how critical I think, you know, rates staying down could be good for the stock market and technology in particular as 30% of the S&P. What stocks or sectors uh, surprised you the most in 2023 and how much they went up? Well, I mean, I didn't see a 50 spot on the queues. I'll tell you that much. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, 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 we were bullish. We were buying stocks. We were buying them, you know, because if you recall, kind of like rewind for just a second. So back in the late 20, like in, in the late 20s, in late 22, the short interest in these tech stocks was off the charts, right? Chart, yeah, it was high. We we had a bear market. The, the 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 majority of stocks bottomed out in June of 2022, right? That's when most stocks stopped going down, and then from there things got better. But some of the tech stocks and queues continued to fall, even though most things were already on their way up in the back half of 22. It, the 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 bears the short sellers instead of covering their shorts after these massive declines like 80 90% decline in some of these growth stocks right you guys know yeah rather than covering their shorts some did we were short some stocks we covered our shorts right some people did but in aggregate which is what counts 
not only did they not cover their shorts, they added to their shorts so that by the end of 22, they were the most short those growth stocks the entire cycle after most stocks had already bottomed. So yeah. that's that unwind. And then Wall Street comes in with their first negative uh, ex expectations for the S&P 500 on a consensus basis, negative year, first time all century. Yeah. At the same time that all these institutions were super short, you got that nasty squeeze. So what surprised me? I didn't see, as bullish as we were, I didn't see a 50 spot on the queues. Um, but what I, I will say that I'm not surprised, but I think is going unnoticed, is that the best performer in the second half of last year was financials. Mm. Nobody's talking yeah. about that. Remember ba banking yeah. crisis? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three banks no one's ever heard of disappeared. So what? More of them should have gone. There's too many as it is. <laughs> how do you feel about the AI potential AI bubble and how that could affect the market? You know, listen, man, this is a way above my pay grade in terms of like AI. Like, obviously, I, I have some smart friends and I, I listen to smart people. I try to, and you know, they they have uh, big expectations. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure there is. Um, for me, in terms of what I can do, what I can control certainly not building ai algorithms or whatever like i got my friends they'll do that for me and then I'll, i get to play with the toys they built great and i'll invest in some of them too that's great i'm just not going to do it right for me i'm more interested in like okay who's winning in all of this and who's winning is really the biggest players like google microsoft nvidia they're the ones that are winning like from what i could see the more like pure plays ai plays like most of all that is bullshit. like to me i think like just the companies with the best resources, the most money, the ones yeah. that have been way ahead of this before it got sexy, like, and they're the, and you look at the charts because that's what's actually happening and they're winning. Now, are they winning because of AI or are they winning for a variety of reasons? Probably for a variety of reasons, but the AI probably isn't hurting. That's are you surprised at how much the bond market has fallen? The I mean, really since what, 2020? Um, I know you talked about it earlier. Now, I talk about this uh, Rashad and Troy all the time. Like, I never thought I would see, like, a bond collapse like this. Are you surprised, or does this remind you a lot of the 70s, and do you think we'll be here for the next three or four years? Man, let me tell you something. I Nothing surprises me in the market anymore, you know? I'm too <laughs> old. I, I, yeah. I've, seen, I've, been, I've seen too much. I'm so yeah. numb. And I, sometimes, I've, I like, you know, people who maybe not have had those experiences, it might seem kind of like, oh, I just, I don't, I, 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 nothing surprises me. Oh, crude oil trading below zero? Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was crazy. Like, Good like, negative like, battle. Like, I, I used to work across the street from Bear Stearns headquarters, like, overnight, gone. See ya. No big deal. Just another day, yeah. you know? I mean, <laughs> I've seen some shit, man. So, like, is am I surprised? No. I mean, I've been hearing about this bond sell-off my entire career, right? Like, okay, now there's your bond sell-off. I'm finally... 20 years later, right? Like yeah. I've been hearing about this forever, right? Because everybody wants to pick a bottom. Everybody wants to pick a top. You know, I, I can see a situation where we're kind of like in a messy range for a while and rates, you know, go up a little, down a little, but kind of stay within a range, not have this like secular turn where, you know, rates are going to go to 15% tomorrow. Could we get there eventually? Maybe, you know, but for the foreseeable future, I think it's probably going to be a little muted, probably just messy in general. Um, what I will say is also the, the correlations with energy as well have shifted. It's, it's almost like the 60-40 portfolio of stocks and bonds 
is now really a hundred portfolio because stocks and bonds are moving together. So there's no 60, 40 or nothing. But on the other, but if you, if you, if you kind of like, um, sort of navigate that 60, 40 differently in this environment, it's more like a 60 stocks, 40 energy. Mm, so okay. a more of a 60, 40 that makes sense in this environment. How long that lasts? Who knows? But my suspicion is it's going to last a lot longer than people think. So what do you mean 60, 40 energy? What, what are you talking well, energy like stock or well traditionally stocks and bonds don't move together they've been moving inversely for a long time right when stocks sell off bonds rally right and you're still getting your yield if if stocks are doing well so it's kind of like a balance if you will but that but when stocks and bonds are moving together there's no 60 40 it's 100 right mm. no no for sure. i got that far but I'm you said you said energy you said energy is right? a new new bonds so now you're seeing a negative correlation between the rest of stocks and energy Right. So when stocks are under pressure, you're going to get relative strength out of energy, we've noticed. Right? Yeah. And when stocks are doing well, tech stocks, all these things are doing well. Energy is not doing well. So energy is now moving with rates. Right. Mm. So as rates are coming off, energy is underperforming. As rates are going up, stocks are under pressure. Energy is yeah. doing well in that environment. That's what we've seen. So if you're going to do a 60 40, that would make more sense than a stocks and bonds when stocks and bonds are just moving together. So it's really just 100. Got you. Would that put pressure on a company like Tesla being in the EV space if Chevron, Exxon are going up um, when the, our market is selling off? Yeah, like indirectly. Like if, if the market is selling off, then Tesla's probably going to be under pressure. And, and a company like Chevron and Exxon can actually do well in that environment. Yeah, I don't think, it, you know, I think it's more of just a coincidence. I don't think one is navigating, like one tail is, is wagging the other dog. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there it's just a... a Sort of the way the market mechanics work um but tesla's tesla's like in a in a messy range it's been in a yeah. messy range for you know a few years there's there's listen well deserved too that was a huge move that was yeah. like a legendary move in market capitalization that we've only we've rarely you can argue maybe never seen never yeah that much market cap grown that fast you may i mean we have to go back and do the math but Regardless of whether it's happened or not, it's not something you see very often. So, yeah, let it take a break. Let it chill out. Well-deserved, you know? Time for a breather. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, I don't want to go. And by the way, it's been breathing for three years. So, I mean, it's. it's yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's an interesting point, right? Because well, people will look at NVIDIA, they'll look at Microsoft, and they'll say, well, new all-time high, new all-time high. Should we get invested? Obviously, we never suggest people invest when it's at its peak. But. Are there specific indicators that you're using to say, all right, this is now a time that we should be getting into these companies? Because we, like we said, we know that technology has run up over the past five years for sure. NVIDIA, we saw had an incredible year last year. Everybody's predicted that it's, you know, the price point is at an average of $600. So there's still room for growth. Are there indicators that you're using or that you would recommend for somebody that's beginning to look at charts uh, that could help them in that, in that journey to say, all right, this is the time to invest? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, um, if there's any indicator, it's going to be price because price is the only truth. Price is never going to be restated. Like, it's a fact. Like, there were buy there was a buyer and a seller at this price at this given time, and that's never going to change. Now, the yeah. seller might not have wanted to sell, and it was the margin clerk selling it for them, and maybe the buyer didn't get the, the best price or whatever, but that's the price that it paid, and that's never going to change. And one thing we know for a fact, fact, is that asset prices trend. We know that. They go up, they go down, they go sideways. 
they trend. We know that. And um, and we have the math, right? And there's, if you're into white papers, knock yourself out. They're all over the place. <laughs> but if we know that and we know asset prices trend, then as investors, shouldn't we be spending a lot of time looking for trends and finding trends in asset prices? So, you know, we look for trends in the stock market. Are we seeing more stocks making new highs or are we seeing fewer stocks making new highs? So it's about recognizing trend on a micro level, a specific stock like NVIDIA, uh, or analyzing the trend of the overall market, which is a composition of 500 trends or a 1,500 trends or 2,000 trends in the Russell 2000, right? And, you know, taking a weight of the evidence to get the direction of the the overall tide correctly and try to have the wind at your back. So in other words, if if most stocks are going up and the trend for most stocks is up, then you're going to probably have more success in, in buying a stock that's going up and being part of that group. Now, yeah. if the majority of stocks are falling and we're in a bear market, and and you're going to try to be buying stocks in that environment you're you're swimming against the tide like you have the odds are not in your favor right and and if you're if you're buying a stock that's going down in an environment where most stocks are going down then good luck you know like that's not going to end well right so you really want to be in the direction of the trend you know and then look for uh you know and this comes over time is understanding what these changes in trends look like and the process of those changes and you start to sort of develop your own process over time but at the very least someone who's never looked at a chart like do yourself a favor and look at a chart and zoom out right you look longer term um and that's the beauty of technical analysis is the ability to use multiple time frames we want to start with a longer term understand the longer term trends you know we're talking about interest rates right yeah. interest rates were going down for 40 years and now we're seeing something different right things are starting to change but these were long trends that persisted for a long time you know you look at the russell 2000 small caps people are so like it's short term it's messy it's in this range oh my god da, da, da. it's not making all-time highs the market's gonna crash do yourself a favor take a deep breath zoom out and you'll yep. notice that that same russell 2000 stock has been making higher lows and higher highs for decades it goes up over you know it's been going up over time you know i think that this one it, it continues higher from here but you're not gonna see that if you're so zoomed in you know like a racehorse where you got these blinders on like open it up and zoom out whenever in doubt zoom out and it'll really help give you perspective and then you can identify the shorter term trends for your specific time horizon but but doing so within the context of the bigger trends what time frames are you using to differentiate between like a short term fluctuation and a like long term mega trend? Yeah, no. And this is a great question because everybody's going to give you a different answer. Right. I've been doing this for a long time. I've heard a million answers. Right. So it's going to be a very personal answer. Like, what do you consider short term? What do you consider long term? For me, you know, I, I look at assets going back, you know, 50, 75 years, you know, in some cases like interest rates and certain indexes where I have that data and it you know, precious metals and oil, like there's certain data that goes back that far. There's a lot of data where that's not really necessary. So I do that kind of just to get perspective and like, you know, analyze, you know, former bull markets and bear markets and things like that in the past. But, you know, realistically over the last 25, 30 years gives you a nice zoomed out look at overall trends in Europe and Asia throughout sectors, you know, stocks, all of those things. Um, and then I'll break it down for, you know, charts that go back maybe nine to nine to you know, 15 months or so. Um, 
and uh and and then from there then i'll look more short term at you know the last couple of months for you know entry points and things of that nature and then i'll look at the implied volatility uh to analyze to see whether that particular stock or etf that i'm looking to participate in is in a low volatility regime or a relatively higher volatility regime so that i know what strategy to then implement right if i'm going to be in the options market or if i'm going to be in the common stock in some cases the options market just doesn't give us the opportunity that we're looking for for whatever reason yeah. and the common stock makes more sense or in another case the options are so stupid no brainer that there's no reason to be in the common you could be in the option right every any time is different and we could talk a little bit more about that if you're interested in but it really becomes a case, yes. by case basis so let me ask you um what uh stocks etfs are you are you personally bullish on <laughs> am i personally bullish on stocks or etfs um listen i like nvidia above 500 you know for me it's about finding risk versus reward opportunities that are skewed in my favor like this is a very selfish endeavor is what this is we are trying to make money period nothing else matters when you invest that is the goal so if the goal is to make money and that is my only goal then what i want to make sure that i'm doing is not losing money right warren buffett rule number one don't lose money rule yep. number two don't forget rule number one right that's Warren Buffett, somebody who's made a lot of money, by the way. <laughs> so don't lose money. So we always want to enter a position and know where we're wrong, how much we could possibly lose in a worst case scenario and be OK with that, because that really goes a long way. Number one, in keeping your money. But number two, mentally, like it, it takes away so much mental stress, knowing you have a plan you fully anticipate and just sticking to that plan. No big deal. Just another trade. Move on to the next one. Like people get so emotionally attached. Oh, I'm never going to sell my Amazon. Your, it's not your Amazon, first of all. Just because you own it, maybe you made some money. It's not your Amazon, right? You could press a button at eight years or more, right? And, it, you know, it, 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 it's not yours. People like have this emotional attachment to a stock, especially if it made a money once, right? Yeah. God forbid. It's you're we're we're dating. We're not marrying anything, right? We're, these are you know. And the minute they start pissing us off, I'm out. See ya, right? Bye, Felicia. Right? No emotional attachment whatsoever. So I like Nvidia above 500. And by the way, if Nvidia is below 500, I don't want anything to do with Nvidia. Not my problem anymore. Now it's somebody else's problem. Literally. Goodbye. If it's below 500, above 500, I like it. I like the relative strength. Um, I like the fact that it's consolidated for what five months before recently now just breaking out. It's the it's the strong group. Just generally speaking, semiconductors are above their prior cycles highs, making new all time highs. So it's a leading group. It's not like I'm trying to get cute buying right. So I, I like Nvidia uh, as a trade for sure. Five hundred target up near seven fifty. So that's like another forty percent higher, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good and, and good risk reward. I mean, obviously, it's taken off a little bit. The bet was to buy it on a breakout above 500. So we're a little bit extended from there. But nevertheless, um, that's the direction that we're heading in. Take a look at some of these industrials. Um, you know, you see the strength in some of these European countries. A lot of that is driven by industrials, things like France and Denmark. These are like, you know, like we have almost 30% technology in the SP 500. Over there, it's like 27% industrials, yeah. right? Just to show you, like, as important as technology is for us, industrials is to them. And you're seeing new all-time highs in those countries. And it's not coming from tech, right? Because they don't have any tech over there, right? So when, when you, you know, were when 
when you were talking about the options market, I, I wonder what are the, the differentiating factors when, that'll make you decide, yes, I'll go with the stock or whether I'll go with the option. You said volatility is, is the bid, the ask, of course. Um, and obviously the strike. Is there a percentage that will deter you from saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to go with the option on this? Like, what is that decision process for you? Yeah. So let's just, so, okay. So let's just say we're bullish of stock, right? Um, um, and volatility is high, right? Um, so if volatility is high and we're bullish of stock, then we could buy the stock, right? But what if there is no well-defined risk in, in the common stock? It's kind of just in a range and there's no well-defined risk how do we define our risk on the common stock? We really can't. So we have to go to the options market. So now in the options market, if we if volatility was low, we could just buy a call option, right? Go out as far as possible, just buy a cheap call, easy peasy, nothing because volatility is low. But let's say in this example, volatility is high. So now we got to, we could do a few things. We could buy a call and then help pay for that by selling a further out of the money call to pay for that call mm -hmm. because it's expensive. It's a high volatility regime, right? Or if we're really bullish and we really want to be a little more risky, we can sell an out-of-the-money put, right, and take that cash to pay for the out-of-the-money call, right? So there's a variety of different things we can do in a higher volatility environment. Now, if we're doing a risk reversal like that and we're selling an out-of-the-money put, if at any point the price of the stock breaks below and closes below our strike on the put, all bets are off. Right. And that's yeah. the risk management on something like that. So every type of strategy, there's a reason why we do that one instead of another one. And there's always a different um, risk management procedure in place before we even enter the trade. Like, let's just say that we're selling a 21 put and the stock's at 23. If at any point the stock breaks below that $21 one time, that's it. Unwind the yeah. trade, all bets are off. And we know that going in. Like, and in a call option, for example, we know that no, we're limited partners. No matter what happens, we can't lose more than what we paid for that call option. That's it. No matter what happens, the world comes to an end. Can't lose more than the seventy-five cents or whatever that we paid for those June calls. You know what I mean? Like, and we're cool with that. Let it go to zero. I'm good with that. But could go to ten, <laughs> right? <laughs> and in that scenario, what is your percentage target that you're looking for? Because I think that'll help the audience a lot. Sure. Um, I like risk reward scenarios of one to five, one to 11, but for yeah. each of those staggered strategies, what is the risk profile that you're putting on for your targets? Right. So it depends on the strategy, right? So in a lot of cases, we're not trying to capture much. We're just trying to capture the volatility because in a higher volatility regime, it pays to collect income, right? Because volatility is more okay. expensive. So in that case, the risk versus reward is not going to be great, but the probabilities of success are going to be really, really high. So you're collecting income. The income is not going to change your life. It's not going to be a 30 to one, you know, a 30 bagger. You know, it's not that at all. It's actually something, it's actually the exact opposite. It's a much higher probability of success trade, but you're limited in how much money you're going to make. You see what I'm saying? But gotcha. that's, but that's the type of strategy that works really well in a high volatility regime, a high probability bet where you're just collecting cash, just making it rain, just selling calls and puts all day long. Just keep, keep, keep going, right? So that's the strategy in a high volatility regime. Now, on the other hand, in a low volatility, you can go out and buy calls for nothing. And you, you can go out six months or eight months or even longer in some markets. And you get huge, huge winners, huge yeah. winners. But these are two completely different types of strategies. 
that are best fit for different environments. Now, if you're trying to get that 30 bagger, you know, call option going out a year in some stock in a high volatility regime, you're going to pay a fortune. Like you're yeah, going to pay yeah. so much money. Like good luck getting that money back, no matter how well the stock does, right? Because it's so expensive. So that just doesn't make any sense in that environment. You're better off just collecting the income, right? Sell calls, sell puts all day long. So in the case of like, let's say we sell a strangle. So in a strangle, this stock is is here, right? At the money, you're selling an out of the money call option and you're selling an out of the money put option, right? You're selling the wings and you're collecting that income. Let's say we collect three bucks. Let's say it's a buck 50 each one. Let's just say we're collecting three bucks. If at any point we can buy back that strangle for half of what we collected, we unwind the trade right away. So we collect three bucks. As soon as we collect can collect a buck 50, unwinds the trade in fact we place resting orders as soon as we as soon as we saw the strangle we also put the resting orders to buy the strangle back at a dollar mm. 50 in that case right away mm. so mm -hmm. is that is that going to be a 30 bagger trade no no nope. at all yeah. we're just betting that volatility is going to just keep eating at the people buying calls and puts that are just churning their accounts right because they can't help themselves but buy calls and puts we'll just accept their donations so can you explain that a little bit can you explain that a little bit more? Because a lot of people might be new to the to um but it's a hell of a gym. Yeah. All right. So um so sometimes you're betting that the stock doesn't go up or down. It just kind of no, no, so, so I'm I'm gonna kind of give some framework and then you can kind of just fill in the blank. So when you say like out of out of the money call, so like I say Apple is at 185 right now. So that would be let's say like a 220 call on Apple, right? For 2025 or something like that, right? Where right. it's out of the money, not right. in the money, where in the money would be like 288 285 like where it's at right now right so you're buying a 220 call on apple for 18 months down the road let's just hypothetically use this sure. as an example right so when you say you're selling can you just kind of like elementary level explain that what that yeah. is beginner so these options right there they have an element of intrinsic value which is when you're in the money and you have an element of time value right so if if a stock a stock is a 200 and these 250 calls let's just say $50 out of the money they don't have any intrinsic value it's only time value right that's the only thing you're paying for is time because it's not in the money something that might be $10 in the money you're paying for that $10 of intrinsic value and the rest is time right now as the, as the expiration right june expiration july expiration whatever as the expiration gets closer the rate of deterioration of that time value increases, right? So once you get to that 45 to 60 days until expiration, these are calendar days, you know, six to eight weeks to expiration, that's when it really uh, appreciates, starts uh, um, deteriorating very quickly. So if you're on options, if you're long options, you own those options, that's the period where you're going to be losing the most time value the quickest. So if you're on the other side of that trade and you are taking advantage of other people's premiums deteriorating, that's income for us. So if we're looking for that 45 to 60 day out sweet spot when we're selling those options, right? So that's how we decide the expiration for those particular strategies. As far as the strike prices, you know, we'll look for a range bound. It'll be a range bound market where there'll be resistance above and support below and the price is kind of somewhere in the middle. So essentially, the bet is that the price of the stock or ETF remains in that range. It's not an uptrend or a downtrend. It's just a mess, and it's going to stay a mess. And people are going to bet that around. it's going to be, you know, other people are betting that it'll trend. We're betting that it'll stay not trending. 
right? Essentially is the bet there. So we'll sell a call option on the upper end of that range and we'll sell that strike. And then we'll sell the put option of the bottom end of that range and we'll sell that put. Is there a technique or strategy that you prefer over the other? Is it the the time decay or is it the interactive value? Meaning like, are you doing short term or do you prefer leaps? Meaning they go six months to two years out. Is there so one that you selling, the other? Uh, if, if you're buying? Right. So if I'm, if I'm selling, we want to stick to that 45 to 60 day period because that's when the mm. premium really deteriorates and we want to collect that cash. If I'm buying, pss, I'll go out as far as possible. Like it depends. Like I remember a couple of years ago, we bought Chevron calls two years out for like nothing, like nothing. It, it was a joke. It was like two bucks for like two years, like 10, 15 bucks out of the money. It was like a joke. Um, so what we do is whenever we buy calls like that, whenever it doubles, we're actually doing less of that these days because we want to be greedy. That's like our new strategy is be greedier, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. Historically, what we do and we did with Chevron is that as soon as the call option doubles, we sell half, right? And then we keep the rest as long as we want. We collected our money back and now it's just house money. Part of our strategy this year is to not do that and be more disciplined with maybe raising stops so that we can still capture without necessarily, you know, so we're, we've been toying with that internally. So as you could see, it's a good example. Like no matter how long you do this, you're always tweaking, you're always adjusting and doing new things. And I roll my eyes cause we're being greedier. Like, you know, as a team, we're like making this conscious decision. Um, you know, it's just funny. And in terms of um, contract size, how many contracts are you using for these strategies? And are you doing a similar strategy with features. So what you like go long two ES mini contracts and short two NASDAQ, or do you not touch the features at all? I personally don't trade the futures. I have managers that manage futures for me. Um, yeah. I, I, st I trade stocks, cryptos and options myself. Okay. I have other portfolios that trade uh, options also for me and run, uh, run a strangle selling strategy. So I don't trade futures personally. Um, and then I have, um, I have guys that trade different things, right. Throughout different, different investments and different investments. So that's how I sort of stay diversified so that yeah. the money that I am actually managing like an individual account or a couple of different individual accounts, I can be more aggressive and more concentrated in those positions because I have other diversification and other strategies that are doing different things. Cause something I learned over the years is that I, sorry to the, the answer to your question is how many contracts not on the future side but on the option side depends on the the premium right could be one or two could be 10 or 20 could be 50 could be yeah you know thousands uh technically you know i had two thousand contracts of these uh out of the money mara calls um you know i was like wholly oh open interest God. myself at some point at one point i know but anyway um so it's, watch on you it depends on the situation. Um, I didn't hold them long enough for the record is the is the uh, story there. But nevertheless, at one point I did have uh, a, a January, I had 2000 January 30 calls uh, for Mara at one point. Um, anyway, that, that, so it, it just depends on the situation. But getting back to the diversification, you know, uh, your real wealth diversification in my opinion by my by not just my work my observations but certainly uh work done by very smart people but my observations as well is is having different strategies 
that are as uncorrelated with one another as possible. Three, four, five, you know, that four to five range mathematically seems to be like the sweet spot. Once you start getting more strategies than that, starts getting, you know, it's the law of diminishing returns or whatever. It's like being a basketball player, like, yeah. you know, maybe being eight feet tall it might have its advantages, but that's not really the ideal sweet spot, you know, maybe like a six, nine with handles and can shoot from the out, you know, whatever. Right. You know, yeah. like there's kind of like a sweet spot where you want to be, you know, so that's kind of, that's kind of how I think about it. So anyway, four to five strategies, I think is, so that's how I think about it. Well, JC, uh, can I get one more? Uh, well, I want to say something. I, I want to make a correction. So I said 180, I said, I think I said 285 is in the money. So, I was, I misspoke if I said that, Mike, let me know. I meant 185 for, I know some people in the comments might. Journalistic integrity. I like yeah. it. I like it. I like yeah. it. Listen, I, 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 I say all kinds of stuff that I, I, I live. I'm like, did I really say that? <laughs> <laughs> it happens. If you talk every day, it happens. Yeah, it happens, man. It happens. JC, I wonder in the, the, your options portfolio, is it diversified amongst uh, a multitude of companies or are there like, 10 or 11 companies that you follow and trade, right? Because, you know, we've talked about this prior. There, there's been scenarios where we've had strategies where we have options on the companies, the stocks that we have already invested in. What's kind of your 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 sweet spot? Yeah, so we run a couple of different strategies. So for one of them where we just sell strangles, what we do is we don't actually use any stocks at all. It's only ETFs. So we take the 35 most liquid ETFs, you know them all, you know, EEM, SPY, XLK, yeah. you know, like, you know, you know them all or most of them anyway. Uh, so it's just those because what that does, since we're selling strangles, we're selling naked calls and selling naked puts. So we're leaving ourselves exposed theoretically to, you know, major overnight gap risk that you'll get in stocks. That's relatively almost eliminated using ETF. So it's kind of like a risk management strategy in a strangle selling um, situation where we now you don't have to worry about that. Right. Um, so we just use the most liquid 35 ETFs. And what we'll do is we'll take the one with the highest implied volatility, the one paying the most, essentially, uh, and yeah. sell that one. <laughs> it's really that simple. Um, and like we like you said, you know, and how we cover. So that's that strategy. And then in terms of the uh, kind of like the uh, more uh, just buying and selling, you know, kind of adapting to the environment strategy. Um, that is exactly what you said about 10, 12 companies. Now, we don't focus on 10 or 12 companies that that we specifically look to sell options that's pretty much the basket of what the portfolio looks like we are willing to trade any stock or etf that is liquid enough to participate in we don't care okay final question for you <laughs> um can you walk us through your be greedy for 2024 strategy i'm curious well so what the thesis behind it so, you know, every year we get together and it's like, what, what did we learn? You know, what mistakes did we make? And, you know, I guess a common theme that kept coming up was, you know, not, you know, letting our, our, our we had some huge winners, huge winners. And in some of those huge winners, we took some off the table too early. Mm -hmm. um, our, our price targets were um, too conservative. Um, and we just left money on the table that could have made a significant impact. Um, so like the, so for example, traditionally we have always 
sold half of our calls as soon as the premium doubles. So if we pay $2 for the option and it's worth four, we sell half and we let the rest run and you know we'll raise our stops along the way. Now we won't sell half, we'll just raise our stops. Okay. For example, that's one way that we are sort of adjusting and sometimes it's gonna shake us out, right? And we know that. Um, and sometimes it's going to bite us in the in the ass because we could have taken money off. It's going to happen. Yeah. But we think that the longer term implications of letting some of those winners run will outweigh those little paper cuts we'll get. On a year over year basis, how much more return do you think that would give you per year doing it that way? Listen, it, it depends on the strategy, of course. In some strategies, there's no way to be greedier. They're just going to stay exactly the same. But in a situation like you know, an options account, I mean, specifically in an options account, it can make a significant impact because some of these things can really, really appreciate. They could get, you know, these calls get in the money and the stock is running. I mean, I've seen, I've, you know, witnessed huge moves in both directions for the record, uh, mm. but, you know, huge, huge moves. So it can have a significant impact. Like, I mean, thousands of percent appreciation in, in an account potentially is not uh, out of the question at all, right? I'm not saying that I'm promising 10,000% returns or something, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, but, I mean, that is the impact that, that you can potentially see in some of these positions, especially in some of those YOLO calls that we talked about before. If you're selling a strangle or you're selling, you know, putting together like a put spread or a call spread or something, you know, you're not, you're going to make a finite amount of money. It's a higher probability of success trade, but it's a finite amount of money in the case where you can go out a year or two and buy cheap calls in something 10, 15 points out of the money. And it gets 30, 40, 50 points in the money during that two year period. Forget about it. Yeah. Right. But there's a time and a place. Those types Final of part. trades in, in a high volatility environment, you can't be doing that stuff, right? You'll go broke right away. Final question. Speaking of 10,000% return, uh, what set of circumstances will we need to get to Kathy's proclamation of a 500,000 um, Bitcoin price or 1.5 for the, the bull case, you think? As yeah, a I mean, listen, chart she, technician. I, I, I'll defer to her. I mean, she's, she's smart. I'm sure she's done her homework to come up with that. Good for her. You know, let's get to 100 first, right? And then, you know, then we'll worry about it. And we have different time horizons, and her and I do different things. So, like, she's entitled to believe that. She could position accordingly. Her investors can follow her in that or not, right? Like, this is a free country. All of that is great. For me, that's great. She's obviously doing something, right? Good for her. For me, that's just, that is not what I do. Like, I do something else. Like, I'm interested yeah. in what's happening now. Like, our target was 47,000 on the Bitcoin that was hit. We've seen rotation yeah. into Ethereum. You know, I think Ethereum goes to 3,800. You know, Bitcoin below 47 is kind of messy for a while. So I'm not really that interested in it. I'm, I'm interested in some of the other things. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think Bitcoin goes higher. In fact, I do. I think we get back to 65 and rip through that and go to 100. Probably 120 is probably, you know, uh, a, a good a good place to, to take a breather. I, I, I think that that's how it plays out. But guess what? It doesn't matter what I think. Right. We're stuck below 47. So I could tell you it's going to 120. I could tell you it's going to 10 million. It doesn't matter. We're still stuck below 47. So in the meantime, I'm kind of chilling out with Bitcoin. I'm looking at Ethereum and some of the others. 
you know, go down the list. Some of these um, uh, other altcoins and stuff. Injective Protocol has been making a, a lot of new highs. TIA is another one. Some of these ICOs are coming out pretty heavy. So, you know, we've got our, our, our crypto scans that we've built over the years. I mean, we've been trading this stuff for a decade almost. Yeah, about a decade since 2014. Yeah, so yeah. You know, quite some time. We started covering it. You know, I started, I wouldn't say I was trading it. I was holding some Bitcoin in 2014, but we really started covering it in our shop in 2016. So even then, you know, relatively early. So, you know, for us, we've come a long way and we do a lot of like on-chain analytics as well, which I, I really, really like a lot. Like because of the transparency of the blockchain, there's so much more data that we get in cryptos that we don't have in traditional assets like stocks and bonds and commodities. I would kill to have some of the data that we have in cryptocurrencies in traditional assets. I would kill for that data. Well, JC, thank you for coming on. Legendary. Thank you. Pre appreciate your time. And um, yeah, uh, feel free to come back anytime you want. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for the invite, guys. Appreciate it. Um, you know, any questions, you guys know where to find me at All Star Charts. Come say what's up. Yeah, shout out to your Mike you, Tyson, uh, Mike Tyson punch out in the back. You like that, right? You know, absolutely. Dude, I was yeah. giving a present. I moved into this office and years ago, and I was giving a presentation for some financial advisors. And you know how they are. Like, everybody has a plan, so you get punched in the mouth. You know how these advisors are. <laughs> so I was just going to, like, you know, make fun of them. And I had that. And they're like, yo, people like this. So I just left it up there. And it's so funny. People, because you appreciate that because you played it as a kid, right? Yep. I mean, come on. What a great game. Classic. 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 Yeah. Right, I appreciate brother. you, my brother. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a good one. Adios. All right. All right. Have a good one. All and right. masterful PR answer and re response to Kathy for all entrepreneurs. <laughs> She's brilliant. Listen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> for sure. Which is true. She is brilliant. And, uh, she is. And that's why I said to, 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 to say her analysis is misguided. It's tough because I know that the work that they do, I know, you know, we've met some of the people that work at Ark Invest and we know the work that they put into it. And so, yeah, I'm sure she she has reasons to to have such a prediction. So good luck to her. <laughs> Friend of if they hit that, that half a mil or that one point five. Oh, baby. <laughs> yeah. Everyone put in chat. What was the biggest lesson you learned uh, from JC? That's my guy, man. He I think he dropped some gems with, with the options strategy and layer and in those positions like that um of course we've talked about calls and you guys have had some great calls but i think the layering of those positions yeah incredible. i mean even he that was the strategy that i actually was doing last year it was as soon as the the call doubles sell half and let the the profit run yeah. yeah and so it, it was it was the, i mean we talk about rick's management it's like yes the money that i invested i took out and i just let the rest run um, yeah. So it was interesting that he said that, like, straight out. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I was doing. And I think it's really important to have, like he said, a range bound. Like, if the market really isn't moving a lot, um, whether it's options, futures, stock, a, a longer target, and then, like, a medium target, I think that's brilliant. But also, like, I, my mind starts turning about going long ES, long NASDAQ, maybe short Russell 1000 or S&P 400 and timing it and layering it in a certain way so your your account's never down um and i think it was really fat like even what he talked about with energy i said all the time i never thought i'll see the bond market have this kind of issue um or shout out the same kind of feeling you did like 
damn, is energy the new bond market for the 60-40 portfolio? Like, imagine all the people who were in it the last 10 years and they're not doing so well in it. But I think it does go to show you always have to plan for what is the worst case scenario in every asset class, every market. So, um, yeah, great job. Great job, JC. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been real. Yes. <laughs> it's been real. Uh, you going to go see Robert Smith or is that just at the event? You didn't announce that one. We haven't run into Robert Smith yet. Not yet. Uh, but I'm sure we'll probably see him sometime. We, we will week. see him. In, in February, we'll see him. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, see, Ali. Shout out to Carnegie Hall for having us back yeah. again for the second year. So, um, get your tickets uh, February 13th. That's just that. that. And uh, Carnegie Hall, we will be speaking with uh, Robert Smith. Rick Ross will be performing. The only black governor in America, Wes Moore. Right. Yes. The governor of Maryland. Yep, yep. He will be uh, speaking as well. So, we did it last year. Um, with Paul Judge, Robert Smith, Buster Rhymes perform. Um, so it's we coming back this year. Uh dope night. Uh Carnegie Hall, very, very prestigious. Twice. Hall venue. Um, get your tuxedos, tuxedos and Please. gowns ready. And um New York City. New York City. Get your tickets now. Go to Carnegie Hall website, their link in their bio, and get your tickets. Um, that's something that's big, big for the city. Huge. Big for just you know society, humanity, yeah. and um, it will be a big night in New York. So um, doing doing Carnegie Hall once is a life fulfilled dream for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So doing it twice, I mean, that's incredible. It's going to be a night to remember. Please, I, I know you said put the tux and gowns on, but let's show up the right way. Like let's show up how we supposed to show up. Nice, we got let's let's do it the right way, right. Yeah. The EYL way, the flyest way, showing what education could look like in the flyest level. So February 13th, make sure y'all pull up. I would be remiss before you guys leave if I don't ask, what are some of the top lessons you've learned since you've been in Davos, Switzerland? Well, we just got here. So um, if next week will be a better. Don't gatekeep, Rashad. <laughs> <laughs> next next week will be a better, a better. We can recap fully next week because uh yeah, we didn't really do anything yet. As we got our badges and we go into um a party tonight. That'll be the kickoff yeah. situation. Um, but after this, after this week, next week we'll come on. And you know, for me, this type of situation, it's like InvestFest, like the two things I, I, I try to get out of these situations are to meet people. That's important. Yeah. And then also just to get information. So trying to just sit in on as many panels and discussions as possible to learn what's happening, what's new technology ai stuff like that um i'm definitely interested in going i know chat gbt has a panel tomorrow try to get to that Fire. um so it's a lot it's a lot going on so next week we'll be able to speak fully on things that we learned people that we met mm -hmm. and yeah like i said that's that's the two biggest things i think to meet people network and also to um to learn something to the reptilians, um, I got a new address. So if you need to send my little membership package, like I'll update <laughs> my DocuSign. Um, in other news, real quick, Blackstone is defaulting on a bunch of commercial real estate. Wow. Could be spooky hours, but it would be an amazing opportunity for another company. And I'm hearing uh, XRP maybe making some moves in healthcare. And if they do that, they get banking and healthcare with Larry Fink and Illuminati, boy. 
It's gonna wow. be good. <laughs> don't, don't don't say I know the Blackstone thing. Keep your eyes on. Keep your eye. And lastly, what what do you think of Vanguard blocking their customers from buying Bitcoin ETFs? Uh, I think it's probably because they set up their own ETF, right? Yeah, they they were in. So they probably don't yeah. want you know all of their customers to spend all their their Bitcoin money with somebody else Elsewhere. as opposed to, to themselves. So I you know I, I don't look too far into that. I just think that that's just you know a business move as far as they want to yeah. keep money in in house, and they would you know discourage others until they have their own up and running. Yeah, Pepsi isn't sending you to the Coke plant in Atlanta. Exactly. So buy Coke Zero and Cherry Coke, but. Not gonna happen. No. All right, it's been real. I'm, I'm taking your your interview. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all be good to each other. Reach out. Uh, you know, spread some love. Text somebody. You know, check on your people. Love is love. You know how we do. Safe travels yeah, to everybody that's traveling. Uh, and in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, you know, let's try to commit service to our communities um, because they're desperately in need of it. So, love is love. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.